Hello, Bettys. Welcome to the show. Before we get to our guest today, I just wanted to let you know that we have such an epic list of guests coming up in March. We are talking about menopause. We're talking about autoimmunity. We're talking about muscle building. We're talking about recovery practices. And I don't want you to miss any of it. Even if you are listening to the podcast, you may not necessarily be subscribed. So you're going to have to manually go into your podcast app and press play. I would love for you to hit that subscribe button so that you are getting the podcast as they are released. It's going to make me oh so happy to know that you are a subscriber of the pod. You are officially a Betty in the Bettyverse. And of course, you are never going to miss an episode and be the first to know when it drops. Thank you so much. What happens though, that's so important that we're finding out why I say Mito is a new keto is that we are often in insufficient cellular energy states, which is an acronym called ICE. And there's something else that's in uh, neurological diseases. It's a very similar idea called brain energy gap. I've been fighting with one arm tied behind my back. But what happens when I'm finally set free? What we do in life echoes in eternity. It's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. The hard is what makes it great. Only love can truly save the world. This is my mission now, forever. Hey everyone, welcome back to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. Today I sat down to speak with my good friend, Sean Wells. Sean is a registered dietitian. He has a master's in sports nutrition and he's known as the world's greatest formulator. And we were introduced a couple of years ago and we became fast friends because we have very similar philosophies in terms of how to apply the ketogenic diet, what it means for mitochondrial health, and some of the other proxies that we can do to help level up our energy. And that is exactly what we spoke about today. So we talk about some of the different sources of energy. So whether that's from your diet, your dietary carbohydrates, your fats, your proteins, we talked about internal sources of food and how those can be used as precursors for energetic production. And Sean talks a lot about three things that really do influence our ability to create energy and that influence our mitochondria. So he talks about glycation, oxidation, and inflammation. And in the podcast, we define what all of those things are, and we give you some tips and tools in terms of how to be able to track it to give yourself a sense of whether you have a high amount of glycated hemoglobin, uh, or if you have a lot of sugar that's being attached to you know, proteins and lipids through your diet. We talked about oxidization, we talked about inflammation, and we contrast the difference between an acute inflammatory uh, response and a chronic low-grade inflammatory response. And again, some lab tests that you can do to check out what that status is in you. We contrasted the ability to be producing energy in the fed state. And we also talked about the importance of being in a fasted state or in a fat adapted state. So if you are restricting your carbohydrates or you are completely restricting all nutrients, what happens in the body? Now, because Sean is the world's greatest formulator, of course, we had to speak about supplements. So we talked about some of his favorite supplements for combating what we were talking about in the podcast. So combating glycation, combating chronic low-grade inflammation and oxidization. So we talked about a few of his favorites. Uh, I had actually a fun little fact. I had actually uh, probably 10 supplements that I had planned for him to nerd out on with me. But we got, we got to about four or five and 
And then we just got on this beautiful tangent on, you know, it may be that we all want to know what's the next big supplement, what's the next big biohack, but if we're really not getting some of our basics down, like community, like spending time with people that we know, like, and trust, and that know, like, and trust us. And, you know, if you're not experiencing love and giving love, then, you know, what is the point in, you know, neural feedback and nootropic stacks and, you know, uh, HDAC inhibitors? So, I had planned this super nerd safari for uh, us to go on or what I like to call my, you know, geeky magic carpet ride, but uh, we didn't get to it. So of course that is going to be an uh, invitation for him to come back and talk another time. But we did get to a, a, the, the big four, I would say. So enjoy that conversation. We also talked about NAD, which is a really hot topic in the biohacking world today and just an overall great discussion with Sean. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Sean Wells. I am a huge fan of the Bio Optimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next level. I'm often asked like, well, what are the types of magnesium we should be looking for? So there's magnesium chelate and citrate and bisglycinate and malate, sucrosomial, taurate and orotate. They have various effects on the body. Bisglycinate, probably the most bioavailable and most absorbable. Malate, it's found naturally in fruits, helps with migraines. Chronic pain has been shown to help improve depression. Magnesium citrate uh, helps with arterial stiffness, helps with maintaining a healthy weight. Magnesium chelate is important for muscle muscle building, recovery and health, the list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such a great dosage as a great baseline for most women. I have found a beautiful medium of actually cycling my magnesium. So I actually will take one or two of these. So I'm either getting 500 milligrams or up to a gram of magnesium, depending on where I am in my cycle. So head on over to biooptimizers.com forward slash better and use code better for 10% off of any order, but make sure that the magnesium breakthrough is in your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures. Keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. In colder temperatures, we sweat more due to a higher metabolic demand of trying to maintain a core body temperature. We lose more fluids and electrolytes through our urine. We lose more water through respiration and just general breathing. And our skin dries out in the wintertime as well. We are a ski family, and over this winter, we have been using Elementee's Chocolate Medley. The chocolate chai is absolutely incredible with some boiling water, a splash of milk, and my kids love the chocolate mint with some hot water. This is our ski. We cozy up with Element Hot After Hours on our cross-country trails. Now, for a limited time, you too can get the Element Tea Chocolate Medley and enjoy them hot as I have been doing with this exclusive insider bundle for you. When you buy three boxes of any flavor, it doesn't have to be the chocolate, it can be any of the flavors that they offer, you are going to get the fourth box free. If you head over to drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima, you'll see that exclusive offer at the bottom of the page. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And tell me which of the chocolate melody you love the best. 
All right. Sean, welcome to The Better Podcast. I'm so happy that you're here with me today. Thank you. You know, I'm happy to be here as well. We were introduced, I think Chris Winfield introduced us, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we became fast friends. I remember we had our first Zoom call and we had pretty much identical philosophies in terms of the ketogenic diet and the application of it. And yeah, so it's been uh, been a dream uh, sometimes when you are in the online space and you're kind of doing your own thing, you sort of feel like you're the only warrior on the uh, down, you know, fighting the battles. But it was really nice to, for me, at least when I first met you, I was like, oh man, there's like other people like me. This is so great. Yeah. Really excited to be talking uh, to you today. We are, we're going to be talking about keto, uh, but I really do want to take a specific focus and try to, we're going to geek out hard today and really talk about your passion, which is I mean, you have a lot of passions, but when, when I've heard you speak and when you and I have had the privilege of, of speaking, you talk a lot about mitochondrial health. And mm-hmm. I've heard you say, you know, mito is the new keto. So I definitely want to be geeking out on mitochondrial health, what we are yeah. doing in terms of, you know, things that may be potentially sabotaging our energy and then, you know, strategies and, uh, and tactics to help increase energetic production and support mitochondrial health. 100%. I'm all about it. Let's do it. Okay. So for the listener, you know, if you've never heard of what a mitochondria is, let's just, just lay it out. What, you know, what is a mitochondria? How is energy made? Where does it come from? Yeah. So it goes back to, they probably have heard it's the powerhouse of the cell. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's like an organelle in the cell. Um, and I should say this might surprise people uh, that even know what a mitochondria is. They might think that there's one you always like are taught that in a biology textbook, but the more intensive the energy is required of that cell, let's say in a heart cell, a cardio, uh, like pericardial cell or something like that, it would have up to 5,000 mitochondria right. in a cell. So people might not realize that, but the, the mitochondria is kind of like a heart for the cell, let's say, just like the heart is to our body. Like it's this thing that that is the the little energy powerhouse, like they say, and it creates adenosine triphosphate ATP, which is the energy currency for the body. And that's involved in the electron transport chain. And people might remember the, the Krebs cycle, which is now typically called the citric acid cycle, the TCA. And that is involved in this energy creation. What happens though that's so important that we're finding out why I say Mito is the new keto is that we are often in insufficient cellular energy states, which is an acronym called ICE. And there's something else that's in uh, neurological diseases. It's a very similar idea called brain energy gap. Mm-hmm. And in Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and you know some of these diseases, you find that same concept. But essentially whether it's insufficient cellular energy or brain energy gap, you're saying that we need this much energy, but we're making this much energy. And for those of you that can't see what I'm doing, I'm saying that there's basically a shortfall of energy. Right. And and that's the whole insufficient cellular energy. And then what happens as a result is we get chronic oxidation, chronic insulin elevation, chronic glycation, chronic inflammation, And any of those things aren't necessarily bad. We always think they sound bad. Insulin needs to go up and down as uh, blood glucose uh, becomes available, and that's okay. And uh, inflammation going up and down is okay with 
the immune system and the immune response, and that's fine. And oxidation is often like a signal that's important for, for repair and all those kinds of things. That's great. But when we're chronically in these states, that's where a lot of disease and biological aging happens. And we're aging faster than our chronological age. And so that's, that's where it becomes problematic is this issue of chronic oxidation, chronic glycation, chronic inflammation. And we see that with mitochondrial dysfunction. And it kind of plays into it both ways. Mitochondrial dysfunction creates those issues, and those issues create worse mitochondrial dysfunction. Uh, but essentially, that's what you're seeing. You're seeing a shortfall of energy, and you're seeing, as a result, a lot of these other things start to happen that set you up for nearly all chronic disease and biological aging. So, so it's let's, so yeah. important, so important. Let's let's talk about glycation. And you know, for the listener who's never heard of that term, that is when a sugar is creating a bond with a protein or a lipid, and that ends up making the protein or the lipid, whatever it's attaching to, it tends to denature or it tends to create a you know a, it becomes malformed, right? Right. Yeah. And when we think about the different types of sugars, you know, we have glucose, we have fructose, we have galactose, all these things, but fructose also is very much, it has 10 times the glycation activity than glucose does, right? So this is, you know, when we're talking about this in the context of aging, and we're talking about this in the context of, you know, mitochondrial health, the more fructose that you're consuming, the, the you know, the faster you are, you know, uh, biologically aging, maybe, and you are maybe surpassing your chronological age with the more fructose that you consume there, um, but this also has really important implications for our cardiovascular health because, you know, if it affects the collagen proteins in our, you know, in our, in our blood vessels, then that is going to really affect the way that the, you know, the, the vessels dilate and constrict. Normally it's going to affect, you know, blood pressure, um, all those things. Yeah. So advanced glycation end products are so aptly named as <laughs> ages. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like the uh, standard American diet acronym being sad. Right. <laughs> it's like right. one of those, those perfect acronyms. Um, but yeah, exactly. It's, you're exactly right that glycation is really out of control and correlated to all these, uh, you know, metabolic diseases. And, you know, when insulin, you have glucose elevated and then insulin stays elevated and then that leads to inflammation and oxidation, but you also have like some of these rampant, growth factors that, that can sometimes be an issue, just like muscle protein synthesis uh, when out of check can be an issue. So it, it's basically like uh, we always hear that, um, you know, muscle protein synthesis should be a good thing, but there are, there are times when um, anabolism in cancer like is not a good thing. So, and we see that with elevated insulin, elevated growth factors, elevated uh, blood glucose, um, some of those kinds of scenarios. But those lead into um, nearly all the, the chronic diseases like uh, cancer, Alzheimer's, like Alzheimer's is type 3 diabetes and cancer is propagated from blood glucose. We know that like PCOS is essentially ovarian diabetes and right. uh, just goes on and on and on. So how would somebody, if somebody's like, gosh, am I glycating at a higher rate than I should be? Am I having, like, how would we, how would somebody know, or how could somebody figure out whether or not they have accelerated glycation? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and really, one of the things that I would love to do is just have like a couple simple labs. I think we've talked about it before. And I know you have maybe some different labs that you use. But I think just hemoglobin A1C would be simple um, to look at, you know, because glucose is a little too transient. Um, and there's certainly other things that you could look at as well. But hemoglobin A1C is, is quick and easy. And then you know, looking at inflammation, you could use CRP and then oxidation, maybe like oxidized LDL. But you could look at these things and whichever lab you want to use, but essentially, you know, ways that you could track inflammation, oxidation, glycation, you could come up with some algorithm or score for like your mitochondrial health mm -hmm. and say, here's how much I aged today. Here's how much like I'm more at risk now for all chronic disease, basically, mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, kind of like you might wear a biostrap or aura ring or, or whatever. It would be so great if we could literally track these things often. But I feel like for a hundred dollars twice a year, we could radically reshape medicine by just looking at some simple labs. And we don't look at CRP until you have cardiovascular disease. We don't look at hemoglobin A1C until you already have diabetes. Mm -hmm. But if we were looking at these ahead of time, we could say that, hey, Sean, you're biologically aging way faster than your chronological age. You know, you're at 30% more risk for all these different disease states. You know, maybe we should make some changes and put you on something that helps with glycation like berberine, mm -hmm. um, which I think is probably the most important. Not the fashion, not the fashion label, but a supplement. <laughs> Yeah, not, not exactly. <laughs> no, no, not Burberry. Burberry. And uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, but I think that's actually the most important supplement, like ahead of fish oil, creatine, D3, multivitamin, you know, some basics that I'd recommend that I think are all great. I would say berberine is the single most important compound you can take. It's been shown in studies to be as effective, if not more effective, than metformin, which is known as an incredible glucose disposal agent, insulin right. sensitivity, anti-aging, studied with telomeres and mm -hmm. mitochondrial function and on and on and on. A lot of anti-aging people have been using it for years, about 20 years now, but it's even more powerful than that and it's natural. Uh, and then the polyphenols in general uh, are really powerful with blood sugar. So and the, the great thing about polyphenols, check out this list. So EGCG from green tea, terastilbene from blueberries. Uh, you can go to dark chocolate, red wine, resveratrol, all these things like the things that we tend to enjoy, coffee, you know, have high polyphenols. So when we're eating like these high polyphenol foods, it helps with the blood flow and blood sugar. So that's a great approach um, to dealing with some of these issues. I like that there's a cost-effective approach. Like when we look at when we look at HbA1c, if you've you know for the listener who's never heard of that, that's basically an average, right? Over the last, you know, red blood cells, I think they they live for two to three months. So this is an average of the blood sugar that you've had. Uh, over the last three months. So it's the glycated hemoglobin is what we're essentially looking at. So I think that that's a really great 
I think that's a, I, I, I always like to look at HbA1c. I always, the other ones I like to look at is, is fasting glucose. So what I like to look at context, right? So we want to look at whenever we're thinking about things that change or that things that affect energy, it's always going to be substrate availability, which is how much food you have from the external environment or how much food do you have stored on the body that you can utilize hormone regulation. So does your insulin respond appropriately? And then the other, the other one I would probably add in there is like enzyme, enzyme modification. Like how quickly can your enzymes sort of like each individual enzyme sort of move things along the kinetic or move things along the chain? So yeah, your, your, your basal blood glucose, uh, that's a great point. Um, because, you know, I worked clinically for 10 years and we would see situations where let's say someone, you know, is, is feeling dizzy, feeling faint and they have a blood sugar of 300. If you don't realize what their baseline blood sugar is, you might give someone insulin when in fact they need glucagon or they need uh, like orange juice to go the other way. Let's say their, you know, their blood sugar baseline is 500. They're actually hypoglycemic at 300. Mm -hmm. So it's all like you're saying, it's very relative. Um, obviously that's not a great position to be in, but it does happen oh God. where I can imagine 300. <laughs> I know it yeah, does yeah. happen. Yeah. 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 So I, so I love that. And then I like, to your point, context is really important, right? So I, um, I don't tend to do OGTTs that much, but what I will say is like, just look at your or, uh, oral glucose tolerance test. Uh, mm-hmm. what I will say is just look at your post print, like check your blood sugar, you know, one to two hours after you eat. So do it pre-prandial, like pre-meal. You know, I would like, you know, for me, I'm a bit of a stickler. So I like 70, 75, 80 milligrams per deciliter. But then at two hours, I want that number to be under 100, at least under 140, but ideally somewhere around 120 milligrams per deciliter is sort of what I would consider appropriate modulation or an appropriate glucose uh, rise and fall. So we talked, we talk, so, yeah. Wait, wait. I, so uh, this brings up a really good point. So, uh, you know, I'm a formulator and I was messing with berberine mm-hmm. and I've been strict keto for a long time, but, uh, you know, sometimes I do cyclical and targeted ketogenic dieting. And I decided to put berberine to the test and do a carbohydrate challenge to the point of your like oral glucose tolerance test, which is 75 grams of de- dextrose. Yeah, uh, which is not fun. And I decided to do. Yeah, I decided to do my own, which yeah. was two pop tarts and five double stuffed Oreos. And uh, no, that's not very healthy. But <laughs> oh I decided to have fun and test out the berberine. Yeah. And so, 500 milligrams of berberine, which is the you know the clinically studied dose. Okay. And when I didn't take the berberine, and I did this about a week apart, so I had like a true baseline and washout. When I didn't take the berberine, I started at like a baseline of like 65 to 75 on both of these. When I didn't take the berberine, I was close to, and I was taking my blood glucose every 30 minutes up to two hours, and then I stopped. At two hours, I was like around 200. Wow. Yeah. And this is crazy, like with my blood sugar. So, Mm -hmm. and... And it wasn't, I don't know how long it took to go back down. I stopped measuring. But when I took the berberine, I never got above 100. And at one hour, I was already going back down. 
Wow. And you took it, you took the berberine with the meal or prior to the meal? Just prior to like within uh, 20 minutes prior. So what is the, do you know what the mechanism of action is with berberine? Like you said, it, it, it parallels metformin. Is it like an AMP kinase active? Like how, how exactly. Does, how does yes, that's, that's exactly it. That's exactly how it works. There's some other enzymatic effects that it has as well, but um, the main mechanism is AMPK. Yeah. That's cool. A mm-hmm. hundred. It's insane, it's five, right? 500 milligrams. Uh-huh. Three and times a day is, is typical. And I recommend it like whether you're high carb, low carb, keto, on a cheat meal, whatever, like I recommend just staying on it. Um, I really feel like it's a big part of my youthfulness, my uh, energy, um, my blood sugar staying maintained. Like I think it's the most powerful compound that you can take outside of peptides uh, that get experimental and and aren't well studied, but I think yeah. that's the best thing that you can take that's natural. And a lot of people take metformin for that reason. They take it as a prophylactic to you know yep. to enhance glucose disposal. But the yep. prob- one of the problems with metformin, you have to be careful with your B12, right? It tends to gobble up B12 a lot. Is there? Do you have? Is it? Is that the same with berberine? Or there's no? It hasn't. It hasn't been studied, uh, <clears throat> and that that's a great point. And I do take uh, additional. I already take 5,000 micrograms twice a day of methylcobalamin. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, that's a, it's a good question and that's not well known. So I do take additional B12 uh, on top of that. As an so. insurance policy. Okay. All right. So we talked about glycation. Let's move it. You, you mentioned two other things. We, saw, we talked about inflammation and we talked about oxidation. I think yep. most people can understand what inflammation is. Um, you already contrasted between acute and chronic inflammation. Um, what, are some of the, what are some of the deleterious effects that chronic low-grade inflammation, how does that change the functioning or the efficacy of our mitochondria? Oh, man. Um, pretty, pretty dramatically. Like Again, like tracking back to the uh, insufficient cellular energy and you know, that brings up another point of something I've been heavily looking into is, is deuterium. That could be like a whole other uh, discussion is, uh, I don't know if you've read much on deuterium depleted water, but it's like become my new obsession. Like the hydrogen ions are obviously involved in this electron transport chain and energy creation with the ATP. But deuterium is kind of like, let's say it's a fat hydrogen. Like, just think of like, you know, the skinny guy going through the turnstile and the fat guy kind of getting stuck in the turnstile. So Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a heavy hydrogen. And what happens is deuterium is higher in our lower quality water, in our processed food, in um, uh, like higher sugar type foods. We're finding that they're higher in deuterium. And that deuterium may be a issue with cancer, with diabetes, with uh, insufficient cellular energy states, with autoimmunity. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's creating havoc on the mitochondria being able to readily produce the energy it needs. That's an issue. I think another issue that doesn't get brought up, I'm kind of going on a, on a sidetrack here, but is spirochetes, uh, like some of these other foreign invaders, be it like mold 
like these various, you know, like Lyme's disease and like they found uh, up to 70% of people that have Alzheimer's have some foreign invader in their brain. Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't get addressed much that like from our drinking water, uh, you know, sometimes that if you're in poorer countries or from being in lakes or taking hikes and just getting like different uh, exposure to some of these sometimes too small to be seen creatures, they can have a, a lifelong impact on your energy production. And then, you know, mold exposure as well. Like it's crazy. Like uh, these parasites and various things are involved in a lot of this. And basically it's the same thing where we're getting zapped for energy and we're not making enough energy and the deleterious effect of that would be that, you know, then you start as a result of not making enough energy, you know, it's kind of like you're, you're pushing the gas pedal or you're kicking the horse and the horse has got no more. The car is just kind of chunking along. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the engine starts being overworked and overheating and the oil is, you know, is getting thick and breaking down and, this is what happens in our system. We're like pushing it. And then what do we do? What, what do we do? Like when our, our neurons aren't working well, or we feel low on energy, we go for caffeine, we go for M&Ms and Coca-Cola and, you know, these try and like get this like quick fix. And of course that's like a downward spiral. Right. So right. there you go. Like we're, we're just kind of like faster and faster, like, you know, trying to push the limit on, uh, kind of like the sympathetic nervous system to to get us out of this fix. And that's what we get. And I did that for years. Like I had uh, Epstein-Barr virus, you know, which is, which is mono, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, Hashimoto's, fibromyalgia. And I was like constantly using energy drinks, fat burners, ephedrine, you know, himvine, like all this stuff. And it tanked me. Like I went from bad to so much worse and extreme adrenal fatigue. And, uh, I was in hell for years. Uh, it's funny. I was uh, just interviewing uh, Emily Fletcher, who is a, uh, she's from Ziva meditation. She's a big meditator. And we were talking about one day she was with, I think it was the CEO of whole foods who saw it was either her or her friend, you know, drinking, you know, one of those drinks that you just mentioned is either a cup of coffee or, you know, the Red Bulls or whatever. And he said, Oh, your energy that you have is not your own. (laughs) Just sort of walked away, you know, so this is, uh, which I think is a really brilliant, you know, way to contrast, you know, when you're reliant on the caffeine, when you're reliant on revving up the system, you're not actually enhancing your own ability, your own natural attune, you know, your natural ability to create energy. You're just relying on these exogenous, you know, resources. And exactly. You, yeah. And so like, what's cool about like, when you do take something like methylcobalamin, which is the active coenzymated form of B12, or you take alpha GPC, which is the uh, optimized form of choline that passes the blood brain barrier. Mm-hmm. Like the cool thing about these they enhance your energy and your focus, but they also enhance your sleep. And that's when I can tell you, like, this is something that's optimizing you and it's truly a nutrient when it gives you both. When you right. get better energy and better sleep, that's happening because you are more optimized. When something's coming at a cost, then that's probably not good to do chronically, right. like caffeine. Right. And caffeine comes at a cost, and a lot of these compounds 
you know, the, the Adderalls and Concertas, which are amphetamines or the uh, caffeines or ephedrines or, you know, whatever, the nicotine, all these things are like coming at a cost. And I think when we, when we think about all these globally together, when you have that low-grade inflammation, then you're just gonna, you're going to have this metabolic switch. Like we've been talking about energy being in the mitochondria, you know, for my, my nerds that are listening, you know, hashtag nerd army unite. I love you guys. But that's, you know, we, we talk about this in, uh, you know, we call this oxidative phosphorylation, which is the energetic, uh, the ATP production that happens in the mitochondria. When you are chronically inflamed, this is where we see, you know, less efficient means of producing energy. So we tend to switch from oxfos, we go from oxidative phosphorylation, and we move to, uh, you know, more aerobic glycolysis, which is going to increase our oxidative, you know, our uh, reactive oxygen species is going to decrease insulin sensitivity. And then all of us, and, you know, to your point, you, you uh, call this insufficient uh, cellular energy state, the cellular energetic state. If you don't have the insulin sensitivity, you're going to have less glucose uptake into the cell. And then, mitochondria can't do anything because there's, there's no, there's no substrates there. Yeah. And that's a great point. It just makes me think about um, when you bring that up about oxidation and, and generating uh, ROS is that one of the ways that, you know, keto works is that you're not creating as much oxidation and you are using an alternate fuel source ketones and you are insulin resistant and you are in this insufficient cellular energy state and you don't have enough glucose readily available for substrate. And that's why keto is a miracle. And people are like, wow, how does keto do all this <laughs> stuff with like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and cancer, and PCOS and, and all these things and diabetes? Like, how does it do all of that? It's, it's ridiculous. Epilepsy. And that's how it does it. Like it's literally like that's the biggest way is mitochondrial dysfunction, providing an energy substrate. You have less oxidation. And that's what like people are like, you're not getting enough fruits. So you're not getting enough antioxidants. Well, you're not creating as much oxidants to right. antioxidize. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. So this is how like the carnivores, like they don't need to eat plants all day. Like they're not producing as much oxidation. So therefore they don't need as much antioxidants. Let's talk about, let's talk about keto because you and I have talked about this a lot. What is the, uh, and we're very, very aligned in, in your opinion, can you describe what the ideal ketogenic uh, diet looks like and maybe contrast that if you can with that sad, that standard American diet or standard North American diet? Well, let me start this off first by saying like you can eat shitty like uh, no matter what diet I say. So <laughs> That's <very> like true. <laughs> some like I like I just watched that Game Changers documentary with like that Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jackie Chan funded and James Cameron directed and it's all about um, you know why the vegan diet is superior and they show these athletes that I switched the vegan diet and I became super powered and Look, like, what is the diet you left? Like, that's the first thing I'll ask. Like, because I can show you a vegan that's eating Coca-Cola gummy bears and Miracle Burgers or whatever those things are called. And that's not healthy. And I can show you someone who's keto, who's eating just keto treats and ice creams and whatever <laughs> all day long. And that's not healthy. And, and, you know, there's someone who's eating carnivore that could be eating like hot dogs and bologna. 
And right. that's not healthy either. So, but look, if you're on carnivore and you're eating whole food and you're having organ meats from grass fed, grass finished, you know, sources, free range sources, and you know, you're eating tendon and ligament and skin and bone and all the things, cool. And then, you know, you're vegan and you're eating just plant-based organic and, you know, very conscious about how you're constructing it with complementary proteins. Right. Cool. Right. And then, you know, if you're like someone who's keto and you're doing like high fat, very low carbohydrate, and you're doing it in like a paleo kind of whole food way. Cool. Like, so that's one of the things like I'd like to throw out first is like, we should all agree on eating whole food because that's what we're meant for. And like, Keto isn't a new fad diet. Paleo isn't a new fad diet. The new fad diet is GMOs, antibiotics, uh, artificial sweeteners, artificial colors, artificial flavors, like BST, RBGH, like all this stuff that's in the food supply. That's the like ultra processed food that's been engineered for high bliss point to trigger dopamine and serotonin. That's the new fad diet. And keto isn't new in the sense of maybe keto as like a high fat, very low carbohydrate hack is kind of new, but keto meaning raising ketones isn't new. Mm -hmm. Like probably 50% of the time up until the last hundred years, we've always been like that because we were eating low glycemic, high fiber carbohydrates. We were eating resistant starches. We were searching for our food and working hard to get it. We were hunting it. We were going days without eating. We called it starving then and not fasting. Mm -hmm. You know, and like you went into ketosis a lot. And now, and you know, like through the winter, you were probably typically eating, you know, animal meats and whatever. But I think that would be very common to be in ketosis. Now, this way of like eating very high fat, very low carb to elicit like more ketones, it's, you know, maybe that's a little bit of a, of a hack, but it certainly works. And, you know, we got that from the epileptics and, and diabetics as, as a way to do that. But it's not, a, it's not a new fad to me. And I think we should agree on eating whole food. So those are some of the things I'd, I'd throw out on on uh on how to eat properly on keto so like with keto i would look to to eat paleo i would always start with like something paleo-ish call it whatever you want like whole 30 ancestral whatever uh and start that start there and get off the ultra processed food reduce right. the sugar get your body moving just 10 minutes after you eat has a dramatic impact on your blood sugar you know, you don't have to be like high intensity interval training and blood flow restriction and, you know, like all this stuff at the gym and like I'm doing intraset stretching and I've got like bands while I'm doing like my dumbbells and right. like just, just get the glucose to, in the muscle, just get the glucose disposed in the muscle, just, move the legs a little bit. It's trapped walk there, your dog. It gets there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm you know? yeah. I mean, I, I do that. I do that other crazy stuff, but start where you're at. Like, don't yeah. like freak out and like make it super complicated. And if, you know, you're 70 and listening to this and you're like, I, I don't know how to get going. I mean, just take a walk after you eat. That's it. Like 10 minutes. And, 
and eat whole food and try and reduce these high bliss point foods. These foods have been engineered so that you overeat them. They override the satiety signal. Right. When you walk in the convenience store, it's, it's the addiction store. You know, you walk in, it's, it's sugar, it's alcohol, it's caffeine. You look around, everything's super colorful. And it's hard to like walk in and walk out of there. Mm-hmm. It's the store of addiction and it's built off of impulse because you are low on energy and you're low on serotonin and you're dopamine fixed. And you're like, what? I, I feel horrible. Like, how do I get out of this horrible feeling? The quickest, easiest answer is something that's in that store, but you'll get right back into that place and feel even worse right after. So it's a downward spiral and we need to get off of that fix, get off of that engineered food and get back to eating whole food where we do have satiety. If I was to give you a handful of like raw almonds, you could eat some. And then I, you know, I cook them and it brings out a roasted note and a little sweetness. You could eat a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Then I cover them in oil. And now you're like, oh, it's got this fatty mouthfeel. This is good. And it's triggering something in your head. Cool. So now you're eating a little bit more. And then I add salt. And then I add honey. And then I add habanero. And now all of a sudden you can't like stop eating the whole bag. You can't eat just one. That's like what Lay says. Like literally they're calling you out. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you can't just eat one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Slogan. Yeah. Right. So like this, these foods are engineered to hit multiple like senses, like of yeah. sweet, salty, chewy, like gooey, like crunchy. Like, you know, it's like, it's not just one thing anymore. And in nature, it's very typical that it's one or two things max that it's maybe sweet and maybe acidic or it's fatty and that's it. Like, but now like foods are being combined so that it's like overwhelming to your brain and you can't stop eating. I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, and overall aging well. I personally decided on an infrared sauna from Sunlighten because of the range of far wavelengths and near infrared wavelengths that it offers. Saunas help with detoxification and rejuvenation to rid your body of toxins. It helps with heart health by improving circulation, reducing blood pressure, and helping keep the arteries supple. It helps with muscle recovery by easing the tension and soreness to recover faster. And of course, stress reduction with the warmth and the relaxation of sitting in a sauna. It's crucial for hormonal balance and achieving a state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com slash better and use code better to get a discount. That is sunlighten, S-U-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R and use code better at checkout. If I was to give you a steak, like you can't eat easily like a second steak. But if I give you like, (laughs) if I give you like cookies or chips, it's like, like I can't like stop. Like you can't. So this is like the idea of engineered food. And like, you can listen to these guys talk about like, that's all they do every day is work on how to, you know, when you twist off that, that cap on your Coca-Cola and it goes, you know, there's like things that are triggered in your brain. That's like, it's like, it's, yeah, it's, oh, it's yeah. Refreshing. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then there's the, you know, the sweet and the acidic and the color and the, you know, everything is thought about everything, 
everything is is meant to make you use more, buy more. There's actually a trick that they use with beverages that they make it sweet and flavorful up front, but empty in the back. Why? So you keep drinking it, keep feeling like, oh, this is good. I'm unfulfilled. Oh, this is good. I'm unfulfilled. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And this is, and people are like, you know, why am I fat? And, you know, it's not all your fault, legitimately. Like, yeah. there's a science to it. Mm-hmm. You mentioned, um, I, I love everything you're saying. I want to just come back to something. I want to make sure that we close the loop. You'd mentioned resistant starches. This is something that you and I, I talk a lot about this in my online program. Uh, I would love for you to define what a resistant starch is, why it's important, uh, and how, you know, things that we may not have associated with being on the ketogenic diet um, can be considered that, and, and then we can we can come back. I want to come back to the um, this chemical uh, castration that is a big food. But I want to. I just want to make sure that we close the loop on resistant starches. If someone's hearing that and that's the first time that they've ever heard it, what what is that? Yeah, so it's digestive resistant starches, and the interesting thing is like the foods that we always are associating with elevating blood sugar. Oh, it's starchy, and like that means that it's raising blood sugar, and it literally. Uh, looks like organized kind of glucose units in the starchy chain. But the way that it's set up in this chain is resistant to digestion. And it's only when we heat them up and break them down. And I think about, so like a raw potato, a raw potato, you could eat like an apple and it would have no glycemic impact. This might blow people away. They're like potato, like that's like table sugar on the glycemic index, right? But it's, it's when it's cooked. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. When it's mashed potatoes mm-hmm. and you know, you've whipped it and heated it and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's like table sugar. It's basically like sugar units, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's glucose. But when you have it raw or cold, it's resistant starch. It's resistant to digestion and it actually feeds the gut. It actually feeds the, the microbiota in the gut. So not only does it have, not have a glycemic impact, is keto-friendly, but it's feeding the gut. And raw is probably the best state, but like cold does make it fairly resistant. So like having like the, if you're going to have a potato, like in raw doesn't sound very delicious to you, you could have like a cold potato salad. Uh, I just, I wouldn't have a ton of it, but like, this does leave it in a fairly resistant state. And it's very different than having mashed potatoes. And this is true. Like, again, you probably think bananas, uh, bananas are super high glycemic. That's a fruit totally off limits. You can have green banana starch and it's a resistant starch that feeds the gut. And you have to be careful with some of these starches because they do feed the gut. They can cause some GI distress early on. Like you have to kind of, go easy like mm-hmm. and like you have to kind of taper Dose your way up yeah. yeah yeah but like this is a great way if like maybe you're keto and you want to make a, a banana bread by using like almond flour coconut flour and adding some green uh banana starch or something you can do that like and and make a pretty tasty banana bread so and uh another example is like sushi you can potentially have some rice if it's cold a little more on the undercooked side, like not as sticky. And another like good hack is like literally just make it as cold as possible. That's ideal. 
and then dipping it in like MCT and soy sauce, maybe like the, you know, Bragg's aminos mm -hmm. that tastes like, like soy. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a great way to like, you can still have some sushi and be in ketosis. And one the the thing that I love about resistant starch is to your point it feeds the the intest the microbiota on the large intestine and then they give you a present back right they give you butyrate they give you that short chain exactly. fatty acid which again fatty acids being a substrate for energetic production but then um, there's a whole I mean there's butyrate has all these beautiful things that it does it helps with hyperpermeability in the gut it crosses the blood brain barrier. So cool, I'm, I'm, cool side note on butyrate is that butyrate C4, uh, the short chain fatty acid you're mentioning, mm -hmm. is also, think beta hydroxybutyrate, the key ketone, right? Which right. is also a four carbon uh, molecule. And there's some interconvertibility there so that like one of the reasons that we see like ketogenic carnivorous animals like are able to like produce so much uh, the short chain fatty acid in the gut might be like there's there's a correlation there between ketosis and the short chain fatty acid in the gut like back and forth there's some interplay that uh, when you administer c4 butyrate we actually see beta hydroxybutyrate go up in the blood oh i did not know that that's cool that's really cool. Yeah. And that's, I think resistant starches as well are a way that you can make keto sustainable because one of the things that I have often heard from people when they are starting keto, like I tried keto, but I just, they hit this hungry point and no matter what it was, they weren't, no matter how much fat or protein they were consuming, they couldn't kind of get rid of that hunger. And I think part of that is because the microbiome is starving because most people, the way that they do keto is not with a lot of insoluble fiber. I like to do a lot of green leafy vegetables. I like to do um, things that are going to feed the microbiome and, and help sort of clean that up. But a lot of people get off of keto because they're like, I was so hungry. I couldn't, I don't know why my hung I could never satiate. I could never feel satiated. And resistant starches, I think, are an important way to, uh, to attenuate that. Yeah, and I still have like beans from time to time. Like again, if they're more in the undercooked or cold state, yeah, uh, I love to have some beans, and they're high in fiber, high in protein, and resistant starches if if served appropriately. So you mentioned fasting, and the ketogenic diet, I think in general, is a fasting mimetic. Why? Mm. Why do you think? Uh, and I'd love for you to geek out on this. Why is it advantageous for us as it relates to the mitochondria, and just generally for us to be metabolically flexible, for us to be able to shift and and flux between a fed state uh, and a, and a fasted state? Yeah, I think I think it is ideal that you're dual fuel capable. I mean, there's some other fuels you can say free fatty acids and lactate and blah blah blah, but essentially ketones and glucose and having that flexibility, I think makes a lot of sense. And we are omnivores, right? Like I feel like we're adapted for this. There are carnivores that I think are really adapted for ketones. And then there are herbivores, plant eaters mm -hmm. that are adapted for glucose. But I think that we being omnivores, you know, people make the argument for uh, why carnivore is so awesome or why vegan is so awesome. But I think if you look at it, like we are, we have the ultimate flexibility. It's a, it's a beautiful thing in terms of evolution that we could be by the ocean. We could be in the trees. We could be in a 
barren winter wasteland. We could be in whatever climate all over the world and find a food source. That's incredible. Why would we want to like limit that in terms of our evolution when we're evolved to be superior as a result of that? Like that's a beautiful thing in terms of evolution. We're, we're like a rare species that can make use of plants and animals for food sources and we can make use of ketones and glucose as a fuel source. So I think being dual fuel is ideal. And there's times that I feel like, like I use ketones, like I try and stay fat adapted, keto adapted. But like when I play volleyball all day, like on, like I'm going to tomorrow and I'm playing in a tournament tonight actually, but I'm in the Dallas heat and I'll be like out there for eight to 10 hours. And I have carbohydrate, I have quick carbohydrate, sugar, you know, it can be gummy bears, it could be whatever, like while a fruit, like while I'm playing Mm -hmm. and, you know, but I'm also keto adapted. So I feel like I'm getting the best of both worlds. And this is super ideal. And actually by the end of like, I maybe stop having the the sugar, um, you know, about four hours out. And by the end of my night, I'm already back in ketosis. It's because I'm well adapted and I'm like running through it and I'm certainly like giving a lot of effort, but I'm already back in ketosis. So I feel like I'm well adapted to use both. And in terms of survival and evolution and longevity, I think that makes so much sense. The problem is, and and you can look throughout the world, most of the world is on a high carbohydrate diet and you say, well, why aren't they sick? Why aren't they having all these issues? I can tell you because they're not having ultra processed food. They're not not exercising. They're not sedentary. They're not having glyphosate and GMOs and antibiotics and xenoestrogens and on and on and on. And they're not having Coca-Cola and whatever. They're having whole food. They're having low glycemic carbohydrate. They're having resistant starches. They're having meat and they're having healthy oils. They're not having like these processed fats either, like these trans fats or these highly processed vegetable oils. Like even canola is crap and that's all through whole foods, right? Right. And one of the things that they're probably also doing is they're probably not sleep deprived as well. I think that there's a unique thing in the North American. We just, for whatever reason, it's rampant in our culture to be, to, it's almost like a badge of honor. Like, oh, I pulled an all nighter. And it's, it's completely destructive and completely, you know, when we talk about energy, you know, you, you become hyperinsulinemic. You don't, whenever I, you know, my kids, for me, when my sleep is, terrible. It's because my kids have woken me up. They've had a nightmare or they, you know, find their way into my room or whatever. And the next day working out is I I do not want to work out and I want to, I want to eat more crap and I want to, you know, so. So they've shown that when you get like, uh, like even just six or six and a half hours or less of sleep that you are acutely insulin resistant. Right. And that the neurons are actually firing slower. Mm-hmm. And so like when you feel like you're in a brain fog and you're like, ah, oh, my brain's kind of slow. It actually is. It actually is slower. Right. And when you feel like more impulsive and deprived of that energy and you need something for your neurons to get going and you feel like just tired because you're in an insufficient cellular energy state because yeah. you're in an acute state of mitochondrial dysfunction, what do you do? You grab caffeine, you grab sugar, like you 
So you get in like this, this cycle of like, I don't have enough energy. So I'm going to reach for this stuff that's going to hurt my energy, but give me acute energy. I'm going right. And it activates, it's a stress signal, right? When you're not sleeping well, this is also going to activate your sympathetics. And, you know, then we have this whole other, you know, HPA axis dysregulation that can sort of fall from that too. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. All right. So you are the master formulator. You are the world's foremost master formulator. We taught you, you've already mentioned a couple of things, but I wanted to just be a bit uh, geekier if we could. So we mentioned uh, berberine. What are some of your, if there was, you know, Walk me through what would be some of your favorite foundational supplements for combating some of the things that we've talked about. So we've talked about glycation, oxidation, inflammation, insufficient cellular energetic states, brain mm. energy gap. What would be some of your, we've talked about berberine. What are some other ones that you love? Yeah. Okay. So berberine first, cinnamon, uh, polyphenol second. I like going for the true cinnamon, which is Ceylon cinnamon for blood sugar. So we'll address that with glycation. So next up with oxidation, I was mentioning those before. These could be from food sources or supplement sources, but getting things like EGCG, resveratrol, terostilbean. EGCG is from green tea. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Terostilbean from blueberries, resveratrol, red wine. Mm-hmm. Um, those kinds of things would help with oxidation. Quercetin is another good one from onions. Those are great antioxidants to look at. Certainly, um, you can take a liposomal vitamin C or glutathione. Glutathione is a master antioxidant. Vitamin C is obviously really important, actually potently anti-inflammatory and anti-cancer, interestingly. So the liposome is really protective of these compounds and enhances their bioavailability pretty dramatically, more like getting them via IV. It's the closest thing you could do barring getting an IV. Obviously, IV would be superior. So so liposomal glutathione, what is the dosage that you would recommend with that? A couple grams, like both with the vitamin C and the glutathione, I would say like two or three grams liposomal a couple times a day. So Um, the total dose is two to three grams? Or two to three grams at each? Per dose, yeah. Per per dose, okay. Yeah. And then um, boosting NAD is important. So in the citric acid cycle, also called the Krebs cycle, there's NAD and NADH. Mm -hmm. And kind of that last stop before OAA, this is super nerdy in the in the citric acid cycle. Let's do but, it. Let's go there. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's important with the NAD to NADH ratio to try and boost NAD. And so NAD, like the ways that you can do that, the best way to do that would be an NAD IV. But NAD is essentially it's niacin is it's it's more complicated than that, but it's a niacin based compound. And so when you're doing it, you have to do NAD slowly over hours, like two, three, four hours Mm -hmm. to get enough NAD without it burning. I don't know if you've experienced like the... Oh, I've heard people, they're like, this is the worst, like the NADIV, (laughs) people are like, this is the worst thing ever. It feels, they feel terrible. It's it's called peristesis. Uh, It's that burning and tingling. Mm -hmm. For some people, when I was in the hospital, like niacin... Uh, it's crazy how dramatically like bio individual it is that 
Like some people, it literally looks like they have a sunburn, like transiently, like maybe for like 30 minutes, it looks like their whole face is red and they feel like they're on fire. And some people are like, I'm, I think I'm having a heart attack. And it's crazy. Like with, with niacin, this happens to some degree with beta alanine too. Uh, but it does happen with NAD. So is it nicotinamide riboside that you're recommending or, or straight up NAD? So that's a good Good question. So NAD doesn't really work that well orally. Uh, ni- true niagen, nicotinamide riboside, um, NR, it seems to work okay. I slightly lean towards NMN in the research. It's it's another way to, to potentially boost uh, NAD, but I think both of them are good. There's just no great way. I think they're both good but doing the IV is by far and away the most superior. I hope there's more research here and, and some better ways to do this orally in the near future. But um, going down that line, did you want to ask something there? No, I, uh, oh. I, I think we need more research there too, because if mm-hmm. I could just eat NAD, I would. Like, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Because we talk about this being the fountain of youth and this is slows down the aging process, but NAD can't, you can't trans, that's not the transport. And from my limited understanding, like the transport molecule is nicotinamide. So you have to, you know, NR is, you know, in the liver, we have NR and then it can convert that to NAD. But then in order to get out to the tissues, you, it, it still needs to go as nicotinamide. And then once it's taken up by the cell, then the nicotinamide can convert it into NAD. Yeah. So is it NR? Is it NMN? It, you know, um, because the cell, if it doesn't, if it does, once it takes up the nicotinamide, if it's not converted to NAD, then it has to get, it has to methylate it. It has to get rid of it. So I know just enough to be dangerous here. Like I don't understand NAD and I don't understand if I could, like I said, if I could eat NAD, I would. And um, <laughs> there's been, from what I've read, um, nicotinamide riboside is, uh, is a, you know, you can see trace amounts of it in the muscle and you can, you know, see it taken up by the liver and stuff and the enterocytes can kind of make use of it. But, um, yeah, it's, hands it's up, just I don't the, know. Yeah. the, the data is kind of equivocal, unfortunately with it. It's not super compelling. I, I think it's, it's worth taking, uh, right now that or NMN, but it's not compelling enough. It's nothing like I would, I would say like taking the IV. It's not like but, the berberine, like the berberine, we're I, sure. We're like, we know right. about, yeah, there's been some good clinical studies. Um, yeah. Okay. Right. And then, but along those lines, I think it's important to look at um, the mitochondrial function with the electron transport chain and looking at things like CoQ10 yeah. and PQQ. So both of the, the Q brothers uh, are worth taking. <laughs> the Q um, like PQQ and CoQ10. Uh, ubiquinol is the kind of optimized form of, of CoQ10. Makes a bigger difference as you age. You have trouble um, getting into the reduced form of, um, of CoQ10. So the ubiquinone versus ubiquinol. So if you're over 45, I would consider uh, buying the ubiquinol. If you're younger, you have no problem reducing it. And then PQQ, that, that one's expensive. That's the biggest problem. Mm-hmm. I like taking higher doses. I think like 20 milligrams plus per dose is ideal, but it gets pricey right now. So 20 um, milligrams per dose, how many times a day or just once a day? 
No, I think, I think multiple times a day, I think like three times a day, but again, it gets pricey, but that's one of these things like, you know, people might say like, I don't know, like this stuff seems expensive, but I'm telling you like of all the things you can do, it's like working along this mitochondrial pathway is so important. And Mm -hmm. for all the reasons that I've stated here, like it's just, it's powerfully anti-aging, anti-disease, pro-energy, like your energy is correlative with your allostatic load that you can deal with, your your hormetic stressors that you can deal with, like the bucket of stress, essentially. Like there's you stress, which is good stress, and distress, which is negative stress. Like you have a, a bucket, essentially, this allostatic load that like you can deal with so much stress. And when your body has more energy and you, especially when you take on hormetic stressors and you improve the threshold for that, that bucket, then you can deal with stress better and be it physiologic stress or emotional stress. But I think that's important that like the, the better we're functioning, the more optimized, I mean, prime example, like when you were talking about before, like your example of not getting enough sleep mm-hmm. and let's say you come in with five hours of sleep and your neurons are firing slower and you're in this acute um, insulin resistance and you're in an insufficient cellular energy state and you're feeling low and you go for, you start making impulsive decisions. You don't only just get the donut and the Red Bull and the whatever, but you you make impulsive decisions that aren't necessarily healthy decisions for you. It might be with pornography or sex or, you know, what uh, all these other addictions or things that might fuel that fire, so to speak, temporarily. <laughs> right. With, my, with right. my hand sheepishly raised work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Work. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So think about that. So, when we're in an optimized state, when our mitochondria are functioning optimally, we're not only anti-aging, anti-disease, pro-energy, but we're able to deal with stress better. We're able to increase the, the bucket, the allostatic load, and we're able to take on hormetic stressors and have them be a stress, a positive stress, and not a distress. Like so when we take that cold shower, that it helps us adapt. When we, when we do keto, like it helps us adapt. When we um, do high intensity interval training, it helps us adapt. And you can look at things like heart rate variability and say like, wow, I'm like in a really good state and I'm adapting and I'm getting more healthy by taking on this stress. Mm-hmm. But if I was low on energy, under recovered, then what happens? You know, this becomes a distress, like some of these things that could be seen as healthy, if you're not in an optimized state can sometimes be counterproductive, like exercise can be counterproductive. It's so interesting, you say this, because I think that for myself, personally, I've had to learn the hard way, the value of recovery. So I, you know, used to just head down, work, work, work. And no matter where I was in my menstrual cycle, no matter how my energetic, you know, how my ebbs and flows were going. And when you, like all your gains, you know, whether that is physiological, adapt, you know, adaptogenic or otherwise, they happen in recovery. So 
we know this with sleep, right? The, the, the memory, the things that you've learned over the day, they get encoded from short to long-term memory over sleep. But when you recover, whether it's the physical exertion uh, or otherwise, if you don't give yourself that time to rest, your body will hold on to fat like it's a life insurance policy. And we tend to, you know, you know, in, in practice, I'll see this with, you know, patients with excess weight through the belly, uh, excess cortisol weight, but all the gains happen in recovery. And I think for the high achievers, you know, people who self-identify as type A personalities or even the, you know, the, the, you know, the lack, for lack of a better term, you know, the people who love to biohack, doing nothing is sometimes one of the most productive things that you can do. A hundred percent. Totally agree. I mean, sleep is probably one of the most powerful biohacks. I'm going to get on the sidetrack here because one of the other biohacks that's so important, I just read a study on this, that uh, it was 11 to 15% increased longevity when you choose to be happy. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's like 12 years. Wow. 12 years added to your life from being happy. What and were they defining the, as choosing? Well, I'm, I'm saying, I think that's subjective. Like, uh, you know, how you might fill out a survey of like do your degree of happiness. I feel like it's, it's subjective. I mean, mm -hmm. it depends like what makes you happy and maybe your baseline state of happiness. But I think happiness is a choice. Like every day you can choose whether you're happy or not, whether you're positive or not. But one of the, the best studies that looked at uh, longevity is the Harvard study that is about 80 years in now. And they started with poor areas of Boston and more affluent areas of Boston and looking at working men. I think this started like back in the forties, like right after world war two, maybe. And they looked at these men and, you know, early on, they were looking at socioeconomic stuff and, and maybe disease states. And then as, as things progressed, they started looking at their partners and their kids, and it was both male and female. And, and they looked at genetics and blood work and all the things. And the number one determinant of longevity that they found was quality of relationships over everything. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I find this fascinating, like, you know, when you look at the blue zones that where there is so much longevity, you see like everyone's trying to break down, like, what food are they eating? It's Mediterranean and is it the red wine and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that stuff plays a role. Don't get me wrong. But they also sit and eat dinner for two and a half hours and talk to each other with extended right. family. Mm -hmm. They ha like they're not speeding down the highway at 80 miles an hour eating a Big Mac and like cranking up the radio. Like they're, they prepared their meal. They bought the food fresh. They might've grown the food. Then they're sitting down for two and a half hours, eating the meal, talking, talking through all their issues. It's therapy. And then, you know, like they might drink a glass of wine, not to get drunk, but they're drinking it over hours of sitting there and relaxing and taking time out. Like you're saying, like how important that is as a hack. So they're getting quality relationships. They're getting happiness. They're eating quality food. They're taking time out. They're relaxing. And surprise, surprise, these are the people that live the longest. You know what else they're not doing is what you also mentioned, that we're depriving ourselves of sleep. They're not looking at blue light devices 
at night. Instead, they're they're eating and they're relaxing and they're talking. And we are like, you know, got our cell phone in our face, like baking our eyes in a dark room Mm -hmm. and we're not releasing melatonin. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we can't get to sleep. We can't initiate sleep and we get a shorter duration of sleep. So the quality of sleep goes down. And then we're not getting enough recovery. And therefore, like many of the repair processes aren't going on. There's endocrine dysfunction. Like you're mentioning, cortisol is elevated. Mm -hmm. There's acute insulin resistance and mitochondrial dysfunction and on and on and on. So there's the acute inflammation. And so we just go down that spiral. And we are one of the only animals, only species that deprives ourselves of sleep. I mean, it, it seems crazy. like. You know, whether we're looking at our blue light devices like the TV or the cell phone or we're just it's because we have to stay up late and watch Monday Night Football or Game of Thrones or, you know, whatever. Like we find all these reasons to stay up or we're out at the bar and there's artificial light there and the music and stimulation and, you know, push, push, push. And then we're exhausted. And we actually have there's a term called social jet lag from like what we do on the weekends Mm-hmm. and we don't go to bed at the same time and get up at the same time seven days a week. We do this thing where on the weekends, we stay up four hours later, and then you literally have social jet lag where on Monday morning, it feels like you traveled to Europe right. for the people that are living in America listening to this. Right. So you feel West like- Coast to East Coast, right? Like right, yeah. from like LA to New York. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so you feel that jet lag, and that's why Monday mornings suck. If you were to try going to bed at the same time and getting up at the same time, Monday morning might not suck. I mean, you might need to change your job if you hate it, but <laughs> that's a different <laughs> discussion. But I think largely it's because we what we're doing to our bodies and our circadian rhythm. Yeah, everything that you're saying makes so much sense. And when we talk about, we can talk about all the longevity hacks and all the health span, you know, strategies. But to your point, if it's not, if you're not happy, <laughs> you know, there's not, there's not a, there's not really a, a, a an argument for living longer if you're miserable. So finding, yeah. you know, we've talked about. I have friends. Um, one of my friends, he runs the Broken Brain uh, pro- podcast, uh, Drew, and he talks a lot about the power of community. And, you know, when we talk about this and, you know, we can go down a whole rabbit hole in terms of like what happens when you are with people that you know, like, and trust and you're parasympathetics and when you're with people that you're just sort of being superficial with, but having people that you know, like, and trust, having a community of people who get you and understand you and love you no matter what, no matter, like not just despite your flaws, but because of your flaws, you know, this is what is going to really lead to, I I think, you know, I'm just you know, piggybacking on your comment around happiness. This is the key to longevity is, is finding happiness both within, but also in a community around you. Yeah. And you can get lost in all these biohacks. I think we're both biohackers, but you can become stressed from trying to figure out what biohack do I need to do? Like, should I have like my MCT oil at this time and, you know, right. take my uh, piracetum and, you know, metformin and blood, you know, mm-hmm. you could get so caught up in this stuff and I need to take my cold plunge and I got to activate cold thermogen, my brown adipose tissue. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can like freak yourself out where like, yeah, these can be good things, but you're stressing yourself out and it could be a distress where it's counterproductive. And the most powerful things are happiness, 
quality of relationships, sleep, nutrition, unplugging, having purpose in life, knowing your why. Mm-hmm. I mean, those lots are of sex as well. Lots of sex. Lots of, sex, <laughs> lots of orgasms. For women. The, it's interesting with, with sex, actually, that um, when you have sex, your body thinks that you are ready to reproduce. And so it actually makes you younger in a number of ways because it's triggering uh, a number of things in your body that kind of keep you in a younger state Mm -hmm. uh, because your body thinks that you're, you know, trying to have a baby essentially. So it's a good thing to stay active sexually for sure. I want to, uh, I think that this has been a, an amazing tangent and I want to, I want to continue <laughs> on it. <laughs> I was going to ask you about Kirk Herman and I want to ask you. About I know, I, know. I was, was going to go into all the supplements, but okay. Like exogenous yeah. ketones and yeah, yeah. Okay. So oh, okay, let, wow. let, me, let me, let me give you some, let me give you some rapid fire questions. Cause I think, yeah. um, you know, just to, just for the audience to uh, fall in love with you even more. Um, I, I'm just going to uh, shoot some questions, just the first, first answer that comes out to you. Um, what is the one uh, health practice that you stick to the most regularly? Mm, I think um, friendships, the, the reason I am, I am so blessed, I think in terms of my career, so successful and my my everyone's like man your momentum is insane like and i just say like look at all the people around me like look at how blessed i am and i just freely love and i freely give myself uh wholeheartedly i have been burned so much so much because i'm very giving but it's not going to change me i'm not going to stop being generous and i have amazing people like you in my life because of the energy I'm putting out is what's coming back to me. And it's so important that yes, you've been burned. Yes, you've been hurt, but don't let that change what's going out because that's, what's going to come back. So for me, like that's been the most important thing is that I just, I just love on the people around me and I give and amazingly I'm surrounded by loving givers. I love that. What is, what is a superpower that you have that most people don't know about? Ah, uh, super. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a dumb one that I'm thinking of right now, if you can watch this on video, is this. Is, is, uh, I'm double-jointed. So, oh, wow. Uh, that's one. But I think my superpower, I think, is, is the one we were just talking about. I mean, most people know, like, I'm super hardworking. But I think my, my greatest superpower is that realizing that I am so broken, but my broken is my beautiful. Like that's what, like I am blessed that I have like a pituitary adenoma. I'm blessed that I have my Epstein-Barr virus, chronic fatigue syndrome, Hashimoto's, fibromyalgia. I had a car accident where I have like two uh, artificial discs in my neck. Like I have been through so much stuff health wise and I I'm blessed for it. That's what led to me biohacking. That's what led to my empathy, like connecting with all these people. Why I spend probably two hours a day, just answering questions at no cost. Mm -hmm. Like just because I care, I care. And like it led me to become the world's greatest formulator. It led me to 
become like the the biochemist, the RD, the certified sports nutritionist, all this stuff, because I just wanted to dig in and one, find the answers to fix myself, but two, like really start connecting with people and helping them so that they don't have to go through the things I went through. And for me, it's that's my most powerful superpower. Like if I didn't if I didn't go through all those things, like the obstacles, the way, right? Like if I didn't go through all those things, then I wouldn't be the person I am. I wouldn't be where I am. I wouldn't connect with people like I do. And I wouldn't have my why. So I'm like, I would never take that away. It's, it's, it's the thing that's made me like, and I would always say that like, whatever you're thinking right now is your weakness is actually probably your superpower. You're hiding it away. And it's the thing you're so blessed for that makes you unique. And once you let it out, you'll become so powerful. Once you tell the story, you'll have your why and you'll start connecting with people. Once I started telling people about my suicidal thoughts and depression, my autoimmunity, all these issues that I've had in the past, people started deeply connecting with me. And I'd be at conferences. I've done documentaries and TV shows and all this stuff. And I was always worried about like, do I tell this story? It's not very scientific. I've always just done science stuff. But when I tell the story at any conference, like I just did health optimization summit in London. And again, I was like, ah, like people are going to be like, just get to the science, get to the supplements, get to the mitochondrial stuff. Mm -hmm. But I told my story and so many people came up to me afterwards and like said, thank you for telling that story. And I actually cared about the other stuff you're talking about because you told the story. And I connected with you over the story and and now like it's 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 so cathartic to me to tell my story and it's so deeply connecting and building that tribe that you're talking about that's that's so important and so it's given me my why and now I'm not hiding away all these things cuz you know registered dietitian sports nutritionist biochemist like you're supposed to be like perfect you're supposed to be in great shape in great health blah 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 and I've been obese. I've been uh, in pain, inflamed, tired, can't get out of bed some days, hurting, depressed, suicidal. Mm -hmm. Now I'm telling that story and I'm saying, that's why I'm doing all these things. And I need your help too. When I have my tribe, you give me energy, you give me purpose. So thank you. You know, I think that what I, I what I love about that is it's it's demonstrating that someone like you with the accolades that you have, you we are all more alike than we are different, and we've all had struggles. And I think that the you know the mess is the message. <laughs> you know, like Chris, our friend, will talk about this. The mess is the message. Um, one of my um, mentors, he's I hope I'm going to get him on the podcast soon. His name is Philip McKernan, and he talks about you know your gifts are right beside your wounds. So uh, this is just what you, you know, to sort of wrap it in a bow, I, um, I completely agree with you. And I think that I've had, you know, people will be like, well, you're a doctor, you're supposed to look a certain way, talk a certain way. And yes, but we all, we're all human at the end of the day. We're all human with human experiences looking to connect with people. So I, I just love everything that you've just shared. Thank you for being so vulnerable and so open. Thank you. I appreciate you. So if people want to find out more about you, where can I direct people to find you? Are you online? Are you on the interwebs? Where can, where can we find you? <laughs> uh, yes, uh, seanwells.com, S-H-A-W-N-W-E-L-L-S. And then 
at Zone Halo, Z-O-N-E-H-A-L-O on Instagram. And that would be great. And I'm here to help you um, in any way I can, really. Like my mission in life is to serve. So um, if any of this connects with you and you need my help, then I'm here to help you. Thank you so much, Sean. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Love you. hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find all this information at our website, bettershow.co. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-S-H-O-W.co. Maybe the simplest way to keep in touch with me is to sign up for my email. When you go to bettershow.co, there'll be a little pop-up and I send a weekly email on all things mindset, nutrition, fitness, Uh, longevity, aging, things that are capturing my attention that week in a newsletter that we call Brain Candy. You can find me on social, on Twitter, it's Dr. underscore Stephanie. On Instagram, I am Dr. Stephanie Estima. That's S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E-E-S-T-I-M-A. And finally, a legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and the advice, discussions, and recommendations that we discuss on this podcast do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare professional's advice or care. There is no doctor-patient relationship that has been established in the consumption of this podcast, and the use and implementation of the information contained here are at the sole discretion of the listener. The content in this podcast is not intended to be used as a substitute for any professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment.